Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 273, Running Games in Roll20. Presented by Chris O'Neill, Stephanie Brandt, Warren Morrison, and Walt Chekinowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Running Games on Roll20. Uh, my name is Warren Morrison. Uh, I'm a staff at Double Exposure. I've also been a GM for many, many years. And like I'm sure a lot of you, I have had to spend the last year getting really familiar with running a lot of my games online. Uh, I've run a, a bunch of playtests for tabletop RPGs, some board games, some card games. I haven't quite gotten to LARPing online yet, but it's on my list. Uh, with me is Stephanie from Roll20 and Chris O'Neill from Ninth Level Games. Would you two like to introduce yourselves? Um, so I'm Stephanie Bryant. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris O'Neill. Hmm, I probably should have picked the person first. Stephanie, let's go with you. Sorry. <laughs> We're just going to trip over each other through this whole thing. Um, so I'm Stephanie Bryant. I am the Scrum Master at Roll20. Uh, I also uh, am a game designer. I wrote uh, Threadbare RPG, which um, I I did a lot of playtesting um, in person at conventions locally, but I also did a whole bunch of it online um, because that was one of my uh, great ways to or great secrets for how to get a diverse group of playtesters. So um, I'm excited to be here and looking forward to chatting with you guys. Chris. Thank you. I am Chris O'Neill from Ninth Level Games. I am a game designer and game publisher. Ninth Level specializes in accessible role-playing games. Uh, our We're currently on, uh, we have a Kickstarter running right now for The Excellence, um, which includes a Roll20 piece. We'll talk about that later. Um, uh, I'm probably best known for Cobalt Ate My Baby, um, but hopefully things are changing and people will recognize us for the Polymorph system, which is where we really focus a lot on Roll20, and we'll talk about that as we go through. I'm very excited. Always love to talk to Metatopia. It's always my favorite show, and even if we can't be in Marstown, um, we can at least We still came together, though. That's with the our friends. Part. Yes. It still feels like we're at least connecting. Um, in this strange, strange new world that we all live in. Yeah. Well, on the topic of strange new world, let's, uh, let's get right into it. Um, I think the first yeah. topic we talked about was uh, getting onto the Rule 20 system. Do you want to start us off, Stephanie? Sure. So um, uh, I'm, I'm going to rattle off a couple of uh, resources because I know that uh, for many people, you might be new to online virtual tabletops or VTTs as they're as they're called. Uh, Roll Twenty is certainly one of the more popular ones. Um, I think it's the best, um, not just because I work there. I've actually been a user since their their closed beta, um, and uh, one of the you know one of the reasons it's so popular is. Uh, one of the driving passions behind Roll20 has always been making it easy for people to get in and get on their game uh, yeah. and start playing. And that is that is constantly at our forefront. So uh, getting into a like if your GM starts a game, they can send you a link and you click the link and boom, you're you're you get in, uh, which is great. Um, so we do have a lot of resources. Roll20 makes a lot of resources for GMs who are setting games up, for players who are like getting started. Um, and I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have Darren put put those in the in the chat. Uh, one of them is uh, our YouTube channel. Um, we have a Twitch stream, so these things all get streamed on Twitch and then and then um, archived on YouTube. 
And our YouTube channel has a bunch of wonderful playlists, uh, including one that is my personal favorite, which is Gabe James Games. Does a whole a whole video blog on basically if you're a new GM and you're getting started as a as a as a GM on Roll Twenty, it's like it's like it hits all the all the high notes. Um, Roll Twenty is system agnostic, even though D and D is a very big popular uh, system on our platform. It's not the only one, and in fact, the second game that was ever played on Roll Twenty was Settlers of Catan. So, like from the very wow. beginning of its roots, uh, Roll Twenty has been, you know, it, it it has it has it has meant playing all kinds of games, not just one kind of game. So, um, and the other the other resource that I'm going to have uh, Darren drop in there is um, we have a. Uh, Roll20 uh, crash course uh, document over on our help center and that's a great like tutorial <laughs> of just like how do I how do I get to set up how do I get started so and kind of uh, if you don't mind I want to kind of jump in on that from the not like I guess as familiar with Roll20 side um, I used it sporadically for a couple of years and then when i started having to run things on it exclusively for some reason people stopped coming over to my house for a year it's crazy um <laughs> who could know why who could know why uh, but it's well the easiest thing for me was first like all right they're online resources. How do I find them? And I literally Googled how to do XYZ on Roll20. And the first couple of links were to relatively old YouTube videos that were only half useful. But then I got into some of the actual Roll20 videos and I got some YouTube videos that are like had a lot of the basic information. So, I mean, from the GM or the playtester side, like if, if you are curious if a thing can be done in Roll20, and you don't want to put in the effort of like going to Roll20's channel, literally Google on you or search on YouTube how to do this thing. There is a video on it. I guarantee there is a video on it. The video might be a or little outdated. Someone has asked that question in the forums before. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it does feel a lot like using Adobe products sometimes. Oh, wow. Where, where, yeah. where the answer's out there. You just have to, you just have to Google it. <laughs> I feel that and, way about using our our uh, ticketing software, Jira. Uh, <laughs> the answer is out there. I, the answer is out there. The answer's there. You just got to find it. And like um, talking about the topic of not just D and D, there in in the past year, in the past two years actually, even pre pandemic, there have been so many like built in sheets or built in systems into the roll 20 database that it's pretty easy to at least see if there's a thing similar to what you're looking for oh did stephanie freeze up on us i sure did oh you guys you guys froze for me so uh, uh carry on i'm gonna try to fix my camera here we can still hear yeah so that's we good we can hear you that's the important part hello yeah. again <laughs> um yeah no i i mean uh you know my my introduction to roll 20 uh, i have an account from many many years ago uh, but i'm a, traditionally been a theater of the mind player okay. and i'm definitely a theater of the mind designer uh so it, it it wasn't a big push for me i mean so the pandemic has been a it's it's been a great place but at the end of the day, there is something visceral about rolling dice and seeing dice rolled. And for me, the the fact that I could get 3D dice and that I could easily connect and I could get some people going and I could yeah. share things, not not just a map, right? It's not just a map client. It's a, it's a virtual tabletop. There's things I can do. I can manipulate cards. I can have character sheets. Um, all of a sudden, it, it, it changed my opinion of of you know what it could do um uh and now i'm using it in now 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 we're starting to think about it as part of our strategic decision on games like oh we have to 
I'm not making a new game. I have to think about what it's going to look like on roll twenty. And I think that's a that's a very that's kind of very indicative from the designers I've really been interacting with. Like I had a conversation with someone a month ago, and he's he's talking about um, writing a fate mod, and we had this conversation of like, all right, cool, like we know the system here, are some of the changes we're going to make. How are we going to test this? Wait, we can like go on roll twenty and like do an open game. We can design it. And then we can just hit our group of regular playtesters who now we don't usually have to connect with at a convention. We're just like sending emails. All right, cool. Can we all get together at this time? Which is, you know, the hardest part of any role-playing game. <laughs> Players plus one schedules. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, part of that, that's not ever talked about, I think, a lot with... Uh... The in, in the entire VTT community, um, Roll Twenty obviously as the as the as the front of that pack, uh, the connectivity and the fact that it allows you to play whenever you can and play with whoever you can. Like uh, I was recently in a game with Stephanie, and uh, for me it was late, and for Stephanie it was early. You know because we're three hours apart, um, and it was great for me because. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am able to, I'm able to game after 8 p.m. I'm not able to game at 6 or 5. Um, uh, it gives me some advantages that... Because otherwise I don't get to play with Chris. Otherwise I don't get to play with Chris. Right. Don't invite me to any games, Chris. Yeah, come on. I, it wasn't my game, it was Whitney's. You can yell at Whitney. That's true, that's true. Oh, all right. Oh. <laughs> I'll talk to her. Um, we recently ran. Um, we recently ran. Um, Ninth level runs some. We run some like curated uh, online games, uh, you know, for pay. And and we've actually had people come and play games from Malaysia, right? Because wow. we have the ability to do this. We've had players in Australia, which is not something that we would normally do. Because um, we we refocus some some time and some effort. Um, a lot of the effort that we would have spent going to conventions to run games for people, we've switched to see how can we do that online in an online setting. Um, and the tabletop really opens up that experience because it can be more indicative of what it actually is like to sit down at the table. And I think that actually uh, segues really well into the second topic we wanted to get to. Uh, streaming equals selling. But before we talk about that, are there any questions? I do see that there are people that are excited that, uh, Stephanie, that you're an Agile developer. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. All right. Looks like we don't have any questions. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk about streaming equals selling. Uh, that's going to be more you two than me. So, Stephanie, do <laughs> you want to start this one? I'm going to kick that one straight over to Chris. Uh, Chris, all on you. <laughs> um, so here's the thing, uh, and this is a thing that I, I, I honestly really don't think that a lot of designers are ready for. And I know that there are a few publishing companies that are ready for it, which is besides selling books role-playing is now has two additional streams one is uh the virtual experience and one is streaming right content creation based on people watching other people play your game um there is right now uh such a uh, I'll call it a glut, right? Uh, there, there's, there's so many people playing 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons and streaming it. And there's so many people coming to the hobby because of it. And there's about to be a glorious explosion of new players interested in games that aren't Dungeons & Dragons. Right. Dungeon of Dragons is opening the door and opening the door once again, right. leading the charge. Um, and people are still going to be um, 
you know, people are still going to be playing Dungeons and Dragons. They're still going to be streaming Dungeons and Dragons, but um, the 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 current set of streaming is a lot of talking heads, and I think the future of streaming is going to be more enriched content, and that's mm. going to come through streaming using a virtual tabletop so that people can be more involved in actually seeing the game. It's kind of like the jump. There was, a few years ago, a lot of the actual play was so focused on podcasting, and that's actually moved to video because people are like, I get a deeper experience on the video. Also, nobody wants to say it. It's actually easier to do because uh, audio podcasting editing is really hard, yeah. um, and video, you just like, whatever, just people just see it. They'll, they'll understand there's a weird <laughs> pause because the person's sticking their finger in their eyeball. Um, but that, I think that, that enriched content. Huh? There's a historical reason for that, by the way. Uh, really? Let's talk oh, about it. Yeah. We've, been, we've been listening to radio and, and our ears are, are more attuned to higher fidelity overall than we've been consuming video. And so like the, we're, we're like, we're like much pickier about audio quality. Huh. Yeah. Wow. If you think about it, the radio, you know, is over a hundred years old. The television, not so much. Yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense. I just never thought of that or knew that. That's no, that's a that's a little tip from from my other my previous life as a tech writer when I wrote video blogging for dummies. <laughs> oh <my laughs> All right. Uh, Sorry, I had to nerd out on that one. Sorry about that. No, no, I love it. <laughs> no, I love it. And, cool. and, but, but I think if, if if you follow that idea that like the, the, there's some standard evolutions that we're getting, right? That next evolution in the actual play is going to be more enriched content, and we're going to get that out of using uh, virtual tabletops. And 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 a couple of the large companies are are so aware of this that you know. Watsy has their own virtual tabletop solution. Yeah. Right. Um, we have fandom buying Cortex and announcing Masters of the Universe on its own dedicated virtual tabletop. I mean, and I don't know about y'all, but uh, I'm very excited to be a He Man. Um, I'm very yeah. excited to be a She Ra. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, more a man at arms myself, but I get you. I, I see where you're coming from. I, I see you as a man at arms. I, actually, I'm I, I'm definitely more of a either ram man or uh, <laughs> what was the man, manny faces? Yeah, right. Like the guy with like three different faces in his head. So, but uh, uh, so there's there's this there's this this idea that especially indie designers need to be aware of, which is in order to remain relevant, we're going to have to start thinking about how do we create games that are playable both on the table and on a virtual table, and that those experiences are things that are streamable because if people don't see it on a stream, they're going to have a tough time finding it in the noise. So I actually kind of want to deep dive into that a little bit on both of you, kind of from the, I don't know if there's any data from Roll20 on this, or if you have any like experience on the publisher side, the two-part question of one, outside of like the handful of really big names, can you make money streaming your tabletop role-playing games? And two, on the like publisher de developer side, have you noticed in this new market that we're in a definitive like effect of online use of your games affecting sales? Like once we've now gotten this onto Roll Twenty or like our online platform, has there been an effect on sales? I think I think I can I can touch a little bit on that second question, although I do not have hard numbers on any of this stuff because that's not uh, that's not where I live. Uh, we there there is there is a guy at Roll Twenty whose job is getting metrics and knowing those things, and I'm not that guy, um, yeah. unfortunately. But um, but I do know that uh, first of all, just 
getting getting your game into the Roll20 ecosystem, even just having a character sheet, um, is is beneficial. But also, like like Chris, you just you just got set up as a as a publisher, right? On on the Roll20 marketplace, yeah. and the, like there are there are many people who are paying their rent with their marketplace sales from Roll20. So all right, like and you you can't. Me. Do that if you don't have something to sell. So, yeah the 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 number one way to make money, I think, on Roll Twenty is is art assets. So, um, people that are making tokens, people that are making map elements, um, you know, um, there is uh, there there is a there is a very large market, right? Like we didn't even talk about some of these, like the core numbers. How many? Stephanie, how many people, users, 6 million or something? 6 million. Is the estimated user base yeah. on Roll20? I, 6 million, yeah. right? It, it's over, it's over so 6 like, million. It's over 6 million, right? Because um, and that's a number that doesn't make sense to most independent role-playing designers. Like, 6 million is an imaginary number. Um, yeah. We live in a world of six former designers, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. and it's a it's a worldwide number too. So, you know, right. like that's that's a that's a thing that people don't necessarily realize is that uh you could be making a game that like y- you can't get anybody to buy in your local store and it takes off like gangbusters in Italy. Because that's it just hits something in in their group or in a in a local, you know, tabletop community it and they're like to the yeah. Italian soul. You know, or or, or just, Roma. or it's just, or it could just be the, the influence. Game. You know, our 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 industry can be small enough that the influence of just one person who's really enthusiastic can yeah. spread to its to to their local community, and now that could spread to their not so local online community. So that that's something that's kind of exciting. You know, I yesterday yesterday we, we had a question at work, uh, why do you play Call of Cthulhu? Like like those of us who had played Call of Cthulhu, why did you why did you play it? And my answer was basically peer pressure. I played it because the person who was GMing wanted to run <laughs> Call of Cthulhu. But it's a completely legitimate reason to play a game. And and I have played a lot of games because of oh, yeah. peer pressure. Um, and because of, you know, or social pressure or just, you know, my friends like it or whatever. And I think that's, that's, um, that's not something to underestimate. I, I think that the correct term for that is word of mouth marketing, but it's a little bit more in depth than that. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to dovetail off that, that, that statement and then come back to Warren's initial question. Right. I think there's something really interesting. Um, we, one of the things with what games do we play has a lot to do with availability, right? Is yes. this a game I could play in my, like, yes. uh, I know lots of people that are like, oh, I, I would have loved to play Call of Cthulhu, but, you know, at my store, we only play Savage Worlds, right? right. You know, or, or, or whatever that thing is. Uh, uh, and I've been going to conventions for so long, and one of the big reasons that always went to conventions was for the availability of that other game. Right. Um, oh, I could, I, I could play riffs. I could play one of Chris's stupid games. Right. Like I know uh, <laughs> there's 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 a couple of guys that I know that will show up and they're always like, oh, I saw that you were running the game, so I just came. Like I didn't, I don't, yep. I don't know anything about it. It doesn't matter. Yep. Right? yep. Cult, uh, cult of personality. I absolutely. I absolutely have people that come to you know Strategicon a couple times a year, and they they. They look for what I'm running, and it, and I'm always so flattered. Whatever you're running, so, I just want to be there. I just want to be there. You know, we, <laughs> there's there's definitely GMs that I do that with for sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, no, you had a second point there, or to go back to. And yeah, let's, what I was let's, saying let's, is, let's, I don't want to derail you too really badly. Interesting. One of the things that's really interesting about um, the virtual tabletop situation is it 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 increases availability for more niche product, right? You, you Creating the opportunity to play a game that is not a game that you would be able to play in your local environment because you literally have the ability to access a world market. Yeah. Um, 
you know, that, that, that we're, we are at the, we are at the very beginning of that. Right. And, and, and I think we're at the very beginning of that in two different ways. Like eventually um, there'll be more ways to market your game. And by that, I mean, as a GM, like I want to run this game and, the, and, and, and people are going to find that both professionally, right. Which back to Warren's question, which is, this is kind of a new thing that's being driven um, by the pandemic. Um, opportunities for professional GMing, right? Opportunities to get paid to run games for people because um, GMing, like any other uh, entertainment, is uh, requires work, right? So people are like, "Oh, that's yeah. a valid, that's a valid labor. I'm willing to pay for that." It is. I'm going to have more fun. It is now becoming a marketable skill. Yes. Very good way to put it, Warren. Um, and, yeah. So, um, uh, I and, think... and, and then the... Go ahead. No, 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 go, go ahead. Because uh, uh, this is a really good point to, like, nest into our next topic. So I was going to check if there are any questions. But finish up your point first. Uh, it, it's just that, you know, that the... Uh, um, I think that it, it is... We are in the very early stages where people are trying to figure out what it's worth. Yeah. Um, so that there's definitely some back and forth on what what can what will I spend? What can I spend? What what what's an acceptable amount for that? And right. you know the market will find its place eventually. Um, I happen to think that it's probably like twenty around twenty dollars a game. Um, okay. Uh, which uh, is a reasonable amount, you know, because like if I'm running a game for three or four hours, five people, and I get paid a hundred bucks. You know, it's like, oh, that was that was worth my time. I would do that again. Um, as a person that has run a whole lot of games at conventions for zero dollars, yep, and been very angry because a bunch of crappy people came and played my game, <laughs> yep, uh, people that I would never invite into my house, but I can't say <laughs> no to because it, we're at a convention. Um, uh, I would have felt a lot different about that if I had gotten paid a hundred bucks. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because there's um, there's there's a lot of people who debate whether or not uh, paid GMing should be a thing and and so forth. And um, mm -hmm. I'm I'm personally like I'm all in favor of of marketing any skill you've got that uh, that is marketable. And um, uh, but one of the side effects of paid GMing that that has nothing to do with the GM getting paid is that when people have put ten bucks down on a game. Or twenty bucks down on a game, they show up. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, Chris, I'm not going to be at the game tonight. You're out twenty bucks. Sucker. <laughs> I um, mean, people will show sounds up. Sounds great. They, We're going to have pizza on you if they if they put their dollar down. So that's something that uh, that I, I you know like we never we, we hardly ever talk about it from the from the side of like the whole group cohesion, but right. but a lot of people. Their games fall apart, and that's why they that's why they stop playing. But you know, put put your money where your mouth is, and suddenly your game is less likely to fall apart. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, do we have any questions from the audience? We've got one uh, okay. who wants a Shibuyan wants to know if Stephanie, if you yourself are in fact a contact uh, that. Uh, publishers can use uh, to uh, help get them uh, set up on Roll20 if they are not currently on it. Uh, and if not, uh, do you have like a contact, uh, something that we can put in the uh, chat? I actually have the chat window open, which is great, because I can just drop this link in there. Um, I am not that person. Uh, the Scrum Master does not have uh, um, relationships with, with marketplace creators. <laughs> Um, I did see that question come in. I did post it in our Slack to see if I could get an an a quick answer. And the answer is I don't have a quick answer, but I do have the standard answer, uh, which is... I do, though. Yes. Oh. Yes. It's Emily. Yes, Emily I know Floyd. it's Emily. Yeah, it's Emily Floyd. But to reach Emily, um, you'll oh, still need to open Emily the help center. <laughs> I don't give up people's email goes. addresses. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, but, in this space, I wouldn't do it in a normal thing, but he, like, if we're talking about a publisher, right, um, you, you could reach out to me. 
<laughs> you can reach uh, uh, you can reach out to Knife Level. We'll we'll, we'll get you hooked up. Okay. Um, and uh, but but the uh, I'm gonna drop the link in here for for just the standard like like there's a there's a help center and we've got a form and one of the lines on the form is help me become a marketplace creator. Um, and I did see repeat the name of the producer in the getting started videos. It's on YouTube. They they get streamed to Twitch and then archived on YouTube and it's Gabe James Games. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of the one of the good ones. Okay. Um, any more uh, questions? The process of becoming a publisher on World 20 is easy if the product that you are selling is a map or an art asset or uh, any of those things. If you have a more complicated project, it requires some massaging and it requires that you, you get help from somebody on the World 20 side. Um, uh, but they have some really great people that are working in publisher relations to help you do that. So, um, and, and there is, uh, there's an interesting thing, which is the fact that what you can do on the platform is changing. There's more and more stuff. Um, if you watch some of the newer games, um, that they're doing, they're doing more with interactive objects and, you know, character sheet integration and some really cool stuff. A lot of it does require some programming, um, which, Many of us don't have the skills to do, um, but, but uh, that does dovetail really well into our next topic: playtesting on Roll Twenty. And uh, there's Very actually real. a segue I want to take on this because I've had this conversation with some people, and I feel like it's a thing that needs to be said, uh, particularly in this space. And I am sorry, I know you work at Roll Twenty, it's Stephanie, but I'm about to say some. Perhaps not great things about it. <laughs> anyone who has used Roll20. Um, anyone who's used Roll20's voice and video can understand that it's terrible. <laughs> it's not good. We all know this. We all have a problem with this. But I want to kind of put this in perspective. I'm going to use an analogy that someone else gave me that works fittingly. Discord which we're having our convention on. Discord only does voice and video. The Discord app does voice and video very, very well. It's super intuitive. You can like massage it any way you need. It is excellent at it. That is all they do. Discord on the web browser, not so great. <laughs> and that's their focus. Roll 20 their focus is giving you maps, it's giving you like icons, it's creating a space you can make this virtual game. Yeah, they do voice and video too, but that's super secondary and that's not their focus. So if you are going to use Roll20 for your playtesting or any online tool, accept the fact that if you want really good voice and video, you're going to need a secondary source like Discord or like Zoom or something else. Because that's not what they're there to do really well. And in some cases, like Roll20 so far, what they're there to do really well, they're doing really well. And I personally want them to focus on that. I personally play my Roll20 stuff with the video on and the audio off. Really? Uh, yeah, and the reason for that is, is because I want to see the faces around the table. Okay. The technology of, of audio doesn't really matter. As stated earlier in this, my hearing is good, so I'm super okay with any any jumps. If, if I can if I can turn the volume up way high on Discord, it's going to be okay. But we use Discord uh, for for audio, and we use it on the screen, uh, and primarily because we're just looking at faces, right? Um, right. Because half the time you're not looking at each other, looking at you know where is my spaceship in relationship to the rings of this planet <laughs> that we're going to. Um, and, and, and I'm seeing more because we spent a lot of time focused on making the character sheet, um, that people are spending more time, like literally like on the character sheet, just like you would at the table. You know, it's not like we're all looking around, like I'm going to be looking down at my character sheet. Cause I have to figure out how many, you know, do I have enough magic missiles to get us through this? Um, uh, uh, yeah, really. 
on, on uh, I don't know where I was going. Right, that's fine, but uh, on character sheets, there's there's so many of them on Discord. Not Discord, I'm sorry, Discord. On Roll20 right now of like so many different systems. Uh, it's not just D&D or Fate or Call 100. of Cthulhu. There is how many? Over 700. I think it's over 750 yeah. now. Uh, because if anybody can make a... a character sheet and check it into the GitHub, and uh, as long as it doesn't have, you know, like tables and tables of copyrighted, you know, how everything works or whatever, um, like it, great, check it in. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you have basic HTML skills, you can make a character sheet on Roll Twenty. If you have an understanding of cascading style sheets, CSS, then you're going to be in a much better position, but you don't, you don't need that because a lot of that can be cribbed from existing stuff if you're not, if you're not good at that. Um, I'm a graphic designer as part of my design thing, so I need things to work in a very specific way. So for me, it was a tough haul because I had to be like, I want these things to look this way. Um, not just, I need this information, right? So, but um, for most of the big games, um, there's good there's good sheets out there. Um, you know, Darren will like to hear this. I'm, I'm playing in a Champions 6th edition game. Woo! I don't know why. Uh, it, was, it was a challenge, except it. Um, you know, and we went and got the good Champions, uh, you know, character sheet on Roll20. It's doing the math, so that's all that's important. Yeah, uh, um, I've made a few. I've made a few character sheets on Roll Twenty. Um, uh, I started with I think the drama systems uh, sheet, and then I last year in October I made several um, for some indie games like like the Golden Sky Stories character sheet. Um, I made that one, and I made. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, Raspberry Heaven, which is uh, like some really cute little indie games that I really like. They're not very crunchy or anything, but they're they're ones that I enjoy. And and I just you know made the the character sheet, checked it in, and you know it it works. It doesn't have to do all the things to be functional. Um, you know, sometimes it's just. You know, here's here's your CSS. There's a special, you know, way to do a uh, rollable button. Go. So. And uh, kind of on the topic of ease and availability, um, I clearly remember the first time, second time I went to use Roll Twenty because I I was working on uh, a a mod for a World of Darkness tabletop role-playing game. And I was like, ooh, like I can find a whole bunch of people who are not in my vampire game that will play this and they can like play test this for me. And I, I made the game and I like went to find players. And a couple months later, when I had found absolutely no players, I was like, all right, I guess this isn't isn't really the market for that. And then in uh and that was years ago. And then in July. I was like, oh, I'm curious. I, I have a weekend where I don't have anything doing. My games have canceled. I don't have to do anything for grad school. Let me see if there are any games of, oh, wow, there are so many. So I guess from the topic of anyone who's concerned about the difficulty of finding players, I mean, if it's something brand new, it's the same problem you'd have like at a convention trying to get someone to play something they've never played before. But if you're working on like a mod or something that you can relate to people, or if you have three and you just need a fourth in like two weeks, there are so many more people on Roll20 now looking for games to play. It's just, it's night and day more than it was. And about a year ago, uh, we implemented something called the pickup game system, which not yes. enough people are using, I think, um, but it's basically, uh, what are the games that are starting and open to anybody to just drop in in the next I think it's half an hour or so, and um, or two hours. And when you list your game as a pickup game system, people can join without you having to invite them. They can just they oh. click the link and they're in the game. 
um and it's a uh, it's it's That's great neat. if you're i didn't know that I yeah, it's great if either. you're just like, hey, I just need bodies, you know, or I just need I just need a diverse group of people that are going to come and, and play my game. And I don't like like maybe I'll have to kick a, uh, somebody out if they're a bad actor. But, you know, I'm I'm willing to work with whoever walks up to my table. Um, and it's a it's a it's a very that's a very good playtesting tool. Yeah, I did not is. know that existed. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I'll keep a yeah. note of that. All right. Uh, do you have <laughs> any more like... questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some thoughts. I have some ideas there. Uh, yeah, do we have any questions? There's actually a really good one um, in here, and I just saw it, which was uh, it, the Tome of Tomes of Tomes has one has a specific one. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Uh, the question in that case is, what improvement, if any, is Roll20 possibly making in regards to making some games a little easier to play, like making Battle Map a little more friendly for table with indie cards style play? It means index cards. I know. Index cards. Um, I know. Tomes is, Tomes is kind of, kind of uh, uh, um, pulling my, my chain here a little bit, because... Uh, um, <laughs> The last Strategicon that I went to, which was in February, um, and and believe it or not, I was wearing a mask in in February at that convention uh, when I went through the lobby because because I was concerned about coronavirus um, already. Um, but yeah, You're but smart. one of the one of the things that I did there, and I still have my my notes, was um, I I basically did a roundtable with indie developers there to talk about how they're using index cards when they're when they're running their playtests. Um, but a lot of things have happened since then, and, and that project hasn't, um, hasn't, to my knowledge, gotten off the ground. Um, now, again, I am currently working in a specific team, so I don't have visibility into every single team and what they're tackling next. Um, so I cannot, I cannot make any kinds of promises about where that fits in the roadmap. Tomer, but I do know that it is something that has been heavily requested for a long time. Um, index cards are yes. I just pulled the. Did you not see it in my hand, Tomer? Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, basically. Um, the story started with I was wearing a mask when this happened. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> but basically, uh, uh, I don't. I can't really speak to where that fits in our in our roadmap at this time. But I do know it is something that has a number of suggestions in the suggestion forum, which is a thing on Roll Twenty. You can go and. You can upvote suggestions that are that haven't been implemented yet. Uh, we do actually look at those. Uh, you can suggest new new features or changes to features. Um, there, like, there's a there's a process, and it's not the only way that we build the roadmap, obviously, but right. it is one of the things that that we do look at and, and care about a lot. So um, <laughs> we the, literally got him to. This, this panel got weirdly personal all of a sudden. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Tomes uh, of Tomes side... and I know each other. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. We, we figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, the other side of that is there's an actually an interesting development that is not about technology, right? It's about it's about understanding what you can do in the frame, right? Um, and so there's a bunch of games now that are building things with what, you know, for lack of a better term, we're calling dashboards. I've been calling them play tables, right? And yep. it's about yeah, creating yeah. a situation that isn't a battle map, right? It is, in, in fact, literally, like, the first thing I do is I turn off grids, right? Yep. Um, because when I'm making a game, it's not going to have a battle map. But I want the space, and I'm going to have multiple spaces. And so, like, I literally build dashboards that handle the activities that are the things that you're talking about in that indie game. So in our mazes game, we have a central sheet that has the tracks that you follow. And then we have an object that you can literally physically move around the track. And it, it simulates the exact same activity that would happen on the table. Um, now, for index cards, the idea to be able to write on a card and move it around, that maybe that's a little bit, but for actual cards in a game like there's a system for that that works you know pretty well and you can you can do it yourself it doesn't require any special tools uh chris um, i just you know, want to ask really nice is, 
Go ahead. I, I just want to ask, you said that you, the first thing you do is turn off the grid. Do you turn that off in the default settings? Because you know you can do that, right? I didn't. I didn't uh, know that no, either. I will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can. Like, I, did, I never settings. even thought about the yeah, you can set it in the defaults, and that way you don't have to do it every time you make a new page, which is something that I do when I'm running like like um, Dungeon World and Inverse World and stuff. I'll I'll just set it the the page default to not even use a grid, and then I could just pop up whatever. Images and this is I a want. great moment to uh, remind everyone that if they scroll up in the Twitch chat, there are some links that Stephanie has provided us for uh, learning how to use Roll Twenty. So you're not like Chris and I going, wait, you can do that? I I yeah, didn't know you right? could do that. <laughs> Uh, what um, tools might Evan Angel? Uh, what tools might you recommend new or not GMs who are use Roll Twenty to grow, but are still fresh themselves? Um, it's an interesting ooh. question. Hey, here's what I would suggest: uh, if the system that you want to run uh, has one available, get a module. And run it because the modules are already set up and uh there is a um there's a free one called master's vault which was written by james intracasso and it's a it's a it's a really good fifth edition uh you know very basic beginner module and it it uses a lot of the roll 20 tools and is set up the way that a lot of the roll 20 modules are set up and it's a really good way to just like Hey, how does this all work? Um, so it's a good, like, it's a good. It's a good little like, like intro to how does how does the how does it all work together? Um, uh, yeah. My answer to that's going to be a little bit different, and I think mm -hmm. it really depends on what kind of GM you are. Um, like for me, I I like to find if you are already comfortable running a system not online then that's like the ideal scenario. I, I would like taking a small group of people I already know. I watch some videos so I kind of get the hang of the basics and then I just run it and like fiddle around with everything. And they all know that this is really me learning how Rule 20 works or learning whatever online system or tool, how it works. And you spend two or three sessions like touching all the buttons, clicking all the keys, Having games where you go, wait, what just happened? I can't see anything. I, I, uh, I don't know. I hit something. Ten minutes later, that's what Fog of War does. Okay. Yeah, no, we figured this out now. That was in the video. I forgot about it. But really, it's different in all kinds of like online settings. But since we're talking about Roll20 specifically, I found Roll20 really user-intuitive. And it's very unlikely you're going to like destroy your game halfway through. So if you're already comfortable with the system and there's already a sheet for it in Roll20, which if you have 700 sheets, there's a good chance there is, um, just go in and mess around with a small group of people. Like That will give you a little bit of comfort with the basics of how something you know on text kind of transfers into that online digital format. And then from there, like modules are a great way to go. I was trying to get my cat to come on screen, but oh. she's painted the butt. Uh, don't, don't you just need her to not, don't you need to not want her to come on screen and that's what attracts her? Isn't that, yes. That's, that's what worked for my cat. The, uh, do you, uh, Stephanie, do you want to answer Steve Sedgity's question? I was just going to bring that one up. Yeah. yeah so, um, uh, so first of all, Steve, uh, um, definitely, um, Emily. Emily gave me permission to put her email out there for uh, for publisher support. Um, so, so one of the things that has happened since March is that we have had enormous growth, as I've mentioned, um, and our customer service team. We've added a lot of people because we needed to, you know, support users and everything, but. There, there's no doubt that that we're still we're still playing a little bit catch up. <laughs> so um, we, you know, like that's that's something that uh, is a ongoing um, Im important 
thing for us and it's uh i would say i would say it's probably um one of our top priorities this quarter actually has been you know making sure that our customers you know our users are supported and and you know want to keep coming and playing on our on our platform so um i don't i don't know that i can really give too many specifics there but we definitely we hired I can't remember if it was four or six new customer service uh, team members, and that's that's quite a few for for a company our size. Um, you know, we've we've like the entire company has in our in our you know our our weekly meetings and everything. One of the things we look at is like what what are we doing to serve the people who are already here, um, and and you know and and give them what they're what they're here for what they're looking for what what features they want what bug fixes are important to them and so forth so and steve you know to your thing knife levels new on the platform too as a publisher and um we have you know in in an optimal situation i would like the responsiveness on that side to be greater but they are uh, they are growing on that side, and they've been very helpful. Uh, you know, we've just taken and and been told, you know, that we will get better responses if we're proactive, right? Like if we're uh, if we're doing the work, right? Um, and one of the things that's interesting is is there's a starting to grow um, small uh, group of of third parties that um, can actually do a lot of the work, and you know, if 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 you want to get into a queue behind a bunch of other publishers, it, you know, it's a thing. If uh, it's going to be something that Roll20 does, if you want to do it, they're more than willing to partner with you and let you do what you want. Um, you know, if you're bringing the, if you're bringing the talent from outside. Yeah. The, the more you can do the the more, the, the easier it is to, to get through that pipeline for sure. Um, I do see one question about uh, music, and I'm just going to drop a link here because uh, th this is something we do. Um, you can do background music and everything, um, but you can also, first of all, you can upload your own music now. Um, that's something that, yes. that Roll20 added last year. Um, and, uh, and also, there's an API script. If you're a pro user in Roll20, uh, you have access to API scripts. There's an API script that you can actually, it's called, I think it's called Roll20 uh, Audio Manager, uh, Roll20 AM, and you can a little more easily control the jukebox, uh, like through the chat or whatever. So there's there's some, there's some good audio tools. Um, I also know that there are a number of people who use like Discord stream from their Spotify playlist. Uh, which is totally a thing, and that's like, like, go, you know, more power to you. Um, uh, another little tip and trick. I know I've thrown some of these in here, and I think that they're that they're helpful. Is you can set a playlist or a track to play when you load when you move the players to a particular page, uh, which I do all the time. Which I think is super rad. Like. You just you know okay we're gonna go into the battle scene that. and then the battle scenes you know music starts or whatever so like there's kind of a, a little thing that i i like you actually uh brought up like a little subtopic that i'm really glad we can touch on stephanie um and i only have like the view of this from the gm player side and that's kind of the difference between the three accounts like your, your there's your free account your plus account your pro account and like when i was just playing and would occasionally run like a one or a three shot game my free account was perfectly fine like it did a hundred percent of what i needed it to do um the plus account seems like the thing you would need if you're now running like your consistent weekly game and that's that's kind of where that seems and the pro account would be more than that uh, i do not have a pro account because I do not run that much. Grad school has decided that is more important right now. But um account is also good if you if you're if you're thinking, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, be a pro GM or I'm going to, you know, really contribute into this, you know, as a marketplace creator or as a as a um uh, as a sheet author, you know, publisher, like the pro account is really at that level of of I'm now invested in in this 
in this platform. And that's, I think, one of the things that, um, um, you know, we use ProCount Pro for very experienced GMs or GMs that are running a lot of games, but it's also really, really useful or really uh, even necessary if you're if you're adding to the, you know, the Roll20 platform. Um, so yeah, that's a that's kind of the the break point is well, am I am I am I getting really serious right now about about right. developing on Roll Twenty, and then then it's yes, then you need that pro account, um, or the person that you have writing your character sheet needs it. <laughs> yeah, that will not be me. <laughs> but from um, a publisher perspective, just... I think there is an interesting thing that uh, just real quick uh, the. I think that there is a, a, like I said, a growing market of people with skills that are looking to do this work for publishers, you know, so, um, but, so. Okay, that's, uh, that's an important tip that I will file away. Um, I think we've, uh, we hit all of the points we really wanted to, to talk about. Are there any more questions? Any last questions for us? Darren beat you to it. Darren was just uh, asking the chat if there was any last questions. He's on top of it. The uh Yeah, I mean, so I mean just you know, quick as as anybody's getting for any last questions, you know, my my my, my big thoughts is I'll just get back to this piece that's just this is a this is a it's a fresh new market um yeah. uh for us as publishers and we all need to be thinking about it. Um you know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think there's a lot that's coming. So, and I guess from the uh, from like the designer side, like not just myself, but all of the designers I kind of interact with, where we're all having that same conversation of, all right, how can we take advantage of the situation we're in? Like, ultimately, we we built up the tools of how to you know how to market, how to test, how to kind of make our way to finished product that we're either going to release or sell. But now the environment's changed in a lot of ways for the negative, but it looks like there are a lot of positives that we can take out of this now. And it's this situation's not going to change. If, if they come up with a cure for the virus tomorrow, I personally believe there've already been enough kind of systemic changes in how work in general is done. That. Yeah, we're not going. We're not going back, right? Yeah. Virtual virtual gaming is is here to stay. Here. Um, just like just like virtual workplaces are here to stay, because um, it finally it finally got it finally got those uh, the old fogies enough to be like, well, I guess I'll try it. <laughs> do, you, do you know? Several years ago, before before everybody had to be online and everything, uh, and this is my this is my parting comment. Um, I was running games at a local store every week and I wanted to run the game for the adventure for my DMs before the game so that we it's kind of a slot zero type of thing so that they would get familiar with the content. Um, and we used to do it at somebody's house and then there was a virtual tabletop available and we started playing online. Um, and these were people that lived within 10 miles of me but they were more able to play online because suddenly I didn't like, they were like, I don't have to get a, a babysitter to yeah. play it online. I can do this and still, you know, have the other things going on in my life and in my world. And well, I think right now we're all maybe feeling a little more claustrophobic about having all of those <laughs> things around us, but, but it's definitely uh, at the time it was, it was one of those things where it's like, we could get more people consistently showing up to our to those games um you know the gms they, they were like well i can i can commit to playing on wednesday but i can't necessarily also play on on sunday but suddenly they could because they could find they could find two hours on on a sunday afternoon at that point right so i think that's something that um that certainly speaks to this is this is not a, a thing that's going away and it's something that we can all like all indie game creators can use these tools to you know play test better market better 
you know, get like their, you know, get that engagement uh, with your, with your game. Um, And it's, and it's engagement that's not just the local guy who knows you. It's also, you know, that, that really enthusiastic person in Italy or that really, you know, that, that discord server that people just got really excited about it or whatever it is. Yeah. All right. Um, Chris, Stephanie, thank you both very much for bringing thank your you, uh, experience you. and expertise. Thank um, you all very much for, for listening. Yeah, thank you yeah, very much, uh, all our panelists. Thanks for the questions, or not panelists, attendees. Um, it's really great that we were able to do this, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your Metatopia. Definitely. See y'all. Cheers, everybody.